The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Paul was writing to the Roman church, to a young church, a church of mixed backgrounds, uh, of people who were at that time, again, just to remind you, most likely a church that had begun with more of the Jewish Christians, and then as more of the Roman and non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, came to faith, they were there. But then in this time of Nero, there was a purging and a persecution of the Jews and of Christians, and many were expelled from the city. And so now you have this mixing back in of Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian coming back together, and Paul is writing to them. And he's explaining what is the essence of the Christian faith? What is the essence of what you believe? What does it lead you, the conclusions that it leads you to? How are we to live out our lives? And the first 11 chapters, he wouldn't have written in chapters, but the first 11 chapters that we have are really doctrinal. They're they're heavy on the exactness of truth of what we believe. And then in chapter 12, as Paul normally does, he turns to the therefore. Because now you fully understand these things, you have a framework, a theological framework, an understanding of who you are, your need of the gospel, the power of the gospel, uh, what it motivates and drives us to. Therefore, now go and live and go and do these things. And so 12 through 16 are much more uh, of, as you would, uh, big word, orthopraxy, of what you believe putting into practice. What we're talking about today and in previous weeks is orthodoxy, what we believe in general, in specific ways of knowing what we believe. And Paul, last couple of weeks, and we were touching on uh, this doctrine uh, of the sovereignty of God. That God is in control of all things. That because He is God and because He is above all things, uh, all things are under His dominion and control. And in that same way, uh, that there's not one renegade molecule within all of the universe. And that if we believe that in creation, we would also have to believe that within salvation. Uh, That God is in control even of salvation. And if the condition of man... Uh, is accurately described within Scripture, and it is, that all of men have fallen and fall short of the glory of God, then it is God who is the initiator and the completer of salvation within the life of the believer. Some of you walked away the last couple of weeks and went, wow, never really studied election and predestination, hadn't thought about that. It's beautiful to see how it comes together uh, in God's hand in it. Others of you have been disturbed by that. And your fear is that, well, if it's all God, then man has no responsibility, then I don't have to do anything. Well, Paul was ready for you. Because in chapter 10, Paul is saying, no, no, no. I'm not hedging my bets. Uh, I'm not trying to win over some uh, other followers, per se, just of me and my teaching. But I do recognize this. It is all of God. It begins and ends with God, but man does have a role to play within it. There is something that man has to do, that we have to believe, that we have to, with our volition, with our minds, with our hearts, uh, that we have to say today, as Joshua would have said way back when in the Old Testament, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That I am making a statement of faith 
that I believe these things to be true and I will orient my life around these things and even willing to go to death for them because it is the truth. And I don't just assent to it in knowledge, but with every bit of my being, I say today, this is what I believe to be true. And I will live according to that truth from this day forward. And so that's where we're going to be uh, this week in looking at chapter 10 and seeing with Paul uh, a need to understand our, our responsibility within salvation and a truth that comes and an exactness that comes with knowing what we believe. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me uh, to Romans. We're going to begin in verse 30 of chapter 9 and then go through uh, into verse 13 of chapter 10. This is God's Word. May we ask now His blessing upon it. Father, would You bless us through the reading and hearing of Your Word? These are not just words on a page. This is Your voice. This is Your heart. This is You speaking to us today. So would your people in great humility and empowered by your Holy Spirit listen and be changed forever. To Christ be the glory. Amen. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were, based on works... They stumbled, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying a stone uh, in Zion of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart that you who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. We live in a day and an age where exactness is not necessary. You look at our culture and in the midst of political debate and of dialogue, and you ask for specifics of how certain things are going to be accomplished, they are given back responses of great vagueness. That when details are asked for, there's an inability to articulate what that truth is or what that belief is. 
that we've come to a time in life, in our culture especially, and now sadly uh, within the Christian church, that exactness of what we believe isn't all that necessary either. That it's important to have passion. It's important to, to see growth. It's important to be a nice person. It's important to be a really loving and wonderful person. But what you actually believe has diminished on that continuum somewhere. We're not really bothered by it that much. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in the middle of the last century, a pastor in London who preached during the war, speaks of going into a Christian bookstore and finding a book that was written by a man who, within the content of that book, basically denied the deity of Christ. He denied the very essence of the gospel and the truth that makes the gospel the gospel, the orthodox Christian faith, the orthodox Christian faith. And this book was for sale uh, in a very prominent place in the middle of this Christian bookstore. And he went to the owner of the bookstore and said, Sir, do you realize that you're selling this book? He said, Yes, of course. He said, Well, do you realize that the author in this book denies the very things uh, that we hold to be true and biblical. He said, yes, I realize that, but I had dinner with the man recently, and he's a wonderful man. You'll never meet a more godly individual than this person, so if you would just have the time and the opportunity to be with him, you'd see that he's a great guy. And Dr. Morton Lloyd-Jones, if you've ever read him or heard him speak, would have none of it. And said, sir, I could care less about how nice or wonderful the individual is. What he wrote in his book denies the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet you sell it. We are in that world now where we read things and we celebrate celebrate the spectacle of pastors and of churches within our world and in our country especially. We celebrate authors who are written We celebrate big, but then when you get down to it and you read within the documents of a church or the documents of a person's personal belief system, you find striking and scary things. You listen to what they say on their sermons and then hold them accountable, and you're considered to be one who you just need to meet them, and you'll find them to be wonderful folks. And that's probably true, but the truth is the truth. And it's incredibly important for us as Christians to know what the truth of the gospel is. How to articulate it. How to say, how is it that one is saved? What is it that you need to believe in order to be saved? If aliens dropped out of the sky today, and as you were leaving, they were standing out front, And they asked you this very simple question. You profess to be a Christian. You've attended this Christian worship service at this Christian church. Would you please tell me so that I can go home and tell all of those on my planet? Could you tell me what does it mean to follow Jesus? How is it that someone is saved? Would you be able to give a clear and decisive articulately truthful answer for most people they could not well you see I believe in Jesus and to be a Christian you have to be a nice person 
You need to stop doing a whole bunch of stuff over here. There's like 10 things over here that you're not supposed to do and some things you're supposed to do. And then there's a bunch of other things and there's people that we're not supposed to be with. And I know you're supposed to go to church and I know you're supposed to be a good person. And I'm trying really hard to be a good person. Uh, and I'm nice because Christians are nice people. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's pretty much it. Ah, uh, we have to be able to know the truth because you see Paul was saying here that the Jews missed it by and large because of ignorance they did not know the truth they didn't understand it truth is incredibly important what you and an exactness of that is so key to your life and Peter later on in one of his letters said, be prepared to present to any who ask you the truth that you believe. Are you able to do that, friends, as a church? Can you articulate the truth of the gospel? And most of us would run, and again, we've moved in our culture to your story. Yes, it is important to be able to give your testimony. I appreciate that. And I've shared my testimony and story with you. But I have to be able to say more than simply the fact that I was driving home on I-77 and the Lord came and spoke to me uh, through His Word and told me that basically, Bill, you've been ashamed of me and you don't want me to be ashamed of you. So you need to get right with me. And so I gave my life to the Lord. That's a good story and it's a true story. But I have to be able to articulate to the person this. God is holy and sovereign and there's a gap between me and him. And I would never in my wildest ability be able to come over that gap and to come and to make myself ready and prepared for heaven. So therefore Christ came and to begin to articulate the gospel. We've taken St. Francis of Assisi way too far. That says share the gospel and if necessary use words. Folks, use words. Be able to express through both words. It's good to rake leaves. It's good to see a couple of our pastors breaking all kinds of OSHA laws and standing on houses with blowers. Uh, It's great uh, to do that. But when pressed by the pagan within the community and the culture, says, why are you doing this? Because the love of Jesus Christ compels me. Well, why does it compel you to be able to say, oh, I was more helpless than any widow ever could have been. I was in more dire straits than anybody facing pancreatic cancer. I was absolutely lost and God came and pursued me through Jesus Christ. Take the blowing of leaves and take the painting of houses and use words to articulate it with the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about in the midst of all of this. And so we're going to see three things uh, together this morning. It's really simple in outline form. One is that there is a problem. There is a massive problem that humanity is facing. That there is a counterfeit solution to that problem presented within many churches and within our culture today. But then we're going to look at the biblical solution of how are we to really resolve the issue and the problem. So first, the problem. And it's not necessarily articulated in this passage, but everything leading up to it brings it into light. And here's the problem. We're in desperate need of salvation. All humanity equally under the condemnation of God. Paul has been building this case and building this case all throughout chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 and saying that all of humanity has had within it implanted the very beauty of the law but yet have dismissed the law. 
that all of humanity created in the image of God has now begun to run its own way, determined to be its own God, that we don't need God, and that there is now enmity between humanity and God. And that enmity, that space, that chasm, that gap, whatever it is you want to to write and put, that there is a gap that cannot be satisfied, that God, the just, the judge, the righteous, has to be satisfied. And we can't on our own satisfy it, no matter how good we are. That everyone stands equally condemned under God's justice and all find themselves equally in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christianity is the most beautiful belief system in all of the world for that truth. That everyone, there's no gradation. There's no system. There's no better. It's all of us, regardless of race, education, personal attributes, wealth, anything, nationality, anything. All humanity stands equally in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? Okay, that's the first thing that you have to know. That guess what, parents? Guess what that beautiful child the Lord has blessed you with needs more than anything else? That child needs to know Jesus Christ. Because that child coming into this world is desperately lost. And that we want to create an age of accountability where all children before that age are going to go to heaven, but you're never going to find that biblically supported. And so what we recognize is that all children, all of our children, desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. Those of you who are in relationship with someone else, those of you who are sitting on a row next to somebody else, you know what the person next to you needs more than anything else in this world? They need the salvation of Jesus Christ in their life more than anything because they stand equally condemned under the gospel. And do you know what the person sitting in your seat needs more than anything else? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ because you stand equally condemned with everybody else in this room. That's the equality of the gospel. It rips down everything that divides us. And we have to say, okay, I'm in the same need as everyone else. I need the gospel as much. And that's what Paul was saying. Paul recognized, oh my goodness, I thought I was a little bad. Now I've recognized how truly bad I was and am. Save the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there is this beauty of the gospel and this beauty of humanity. And you know what? It's understood in most religions, because what you find in most religions is a need to work oneself out in salvation, to become better, to empty yourself, if you want to go Eastern, to empty yourself of the trappings of this world so that you can then be made right with oneness, but you have to do something on your part. Or of other world religions which say you have to do and you have to obey and you have to be made right through works, but everyone is looking for this idea that we currently aren't right but there's something that we can do to be made right. It's across the board in most religions, or almost all religions. And so we know that there's a problem. Wouldn't you admit that in your own life you recognize that there's a problem? Most people with any self-awareness at all recognize that they're not perfect. You recognize this, but there still are some who don't realize that there's not peace between you and God on your own. My father in his ministry would go to visit the shut-ins and those who were in uh, hospitals and he sat with a dear man who'd been at church most of his life 
this man was, I guess I use the word dear, that's probably an overstatement. This man was in church most of his life, but was generally a profane man. Part of his role in my father's life was to try to see if he could make the pastor blush by telling every dirty joke that he could come up with. That he came to church and he did things, but yes, when he was on his dying bed, my father sat with him and said, have you made peace with God? Are you at peace with God? And he said, I didn't know that there was something between us. Oh, how sad that this man didn't realize that he needed Jesus Christ to be at peace with God. That he thought his attendance in church and that his doing philanthropic things within the name of the church would somehow make it right. He didn't know he wasn't at peace. Folks, there's a problem. There's a problem. And it's a universal problem of all humanity. So now the solutions, quickly. The solutions, well, there's a counterfeit solution. The counterfeit solution is this, work it out. The counterfeit solution is pull up your bootstraps, be a good person, do good things, become righteous, do these things, and then you will attain this salvation that you have so desperately been looking for. That's what Paul is really presenting here. He's saying, folks, look at what's happening. That the Jews were incredibly zealous for their religion. Uh, That the Hebrew of the day was incredibly zealous uh, for the things that they believed. And they were working hard to be pious and to be obedient, to be good people. But at the end of the day, what he said was this. They thought that it was by works of the law that they could reach salvation. That they could work it out. That they could just be good people. You see, it's incredibly subtle But for most of you here, I think I'd probably say for all of you here, I would describe us all as recovering legalists. That we're all in recovery. And the recovery that we find ourselves within is a recovery from legalism. That we're going to earn our way to heaven. That we're going to be good enough to get to heaven. And sadly, within the context of the church, oftentimes it starts even within the midst of a children's ministry. We work very hard here to look at the curriculum that we're teaching your children because what I don't want to produce within our children's ministry is a bunch of little legalists. But here's how it subtly goes. A curriculum from wonderful churches around the country that many churches use even in our own denomination. And we're going to study morality. We're going to study the law of God. We're going to look at what does it mean to be a Christian. And we're going to say, hey, Johnny, Susie, we're going to look at the scriptures and it says, thou shalt not lie, right? That's one of the big ten, right? Yes, pastor, that's one of the big ten, right? So we shouldn't lie. Also says, well, you, you really shouldn't steal from anybody, so we don't want to steal. And you're supposed to obey and honor your father and mother because that's good. And so what did we learn today in the lesson? Well, I learned that I'm not supposed to lie because God doesn't like liars. Right, Susie. That's what you learned today. Isn't that awesome? Well, yes, but guess what we just told Susie? We just instilled within her heart this incredibly damnable truth. If I don't lie, then God will love me. If I tell the truth, then God will accept me. If I obey my parents, then I'm acceptable to God. 
if I don't steal from my brother and sister, if I don't take without permission, then I'm acceptable to God. And it's so subtle. Because what didn't happen within that dialogue was a presentation of this very truth. You know, it says that we shouldn't lie. But how many of you have lied? How many of you have lied? Yeah. How many of you are going to lie again? Okay. So you're not acceptable to God. Oh, now we're in a problem. Because you've tried really hard not to lie. Oh, but Jesus Christ comes into the world to perfectly be truth. And in looking at that, we look at him and say, I so desperately need him. Because I know that he is the one who will take my punishment. He'll take my cosmic time out. He'll take my cosmic spanking. He will take my punishment on himself so that I can be made right with the Father. Oh, that's the beauty of the gospel. But we stop so quickly at legal. We stop at moral. And then what that becomes in the teenage years is something like this. Well, I don't drink. And I don't do drugs. And I'm not having premarital sex. And I'm doing all of these good things. Therefore, God's accepting me. I found this to be so true and sad and broke my heart when I came to a group of fifth graders in the previous church, fifth and sixth graders. And I sat with them and and one of my own sons in there as well. And I asked them the EE questions, evangelism explosion. I said, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And all of them said, I'm going to heaven. Hey, that's awesome. Good. I hope to see you there. Well, if you're going to go to heaven and you were to stand tonight before God and he asked you this question, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer him? And they looked at me and I said, no, really, how would you answer him? And they started to roll. Well, I'm a good person. I go to Christian school. I come to Sunday school. I've memorized the books of the Bible. I try to do the Ten Commandments really well. I do, I do, I do. Ah. How sad that in their lives, they are no different from who Paul was speaking of. Great passion and zeal for obedience, but no knowledge of the truth of the gospel. Folks, many of you are still in that churn. You are trying really hard. You are working really hard. You are doing everything that you can. You have, and you could be described as incredibly passionate and zealous for the things uh, of the church. And that people who just go to faith, that's a cop-out. Grace, faith, come on, that's the easy way out. you got to work. you got to be a good person. you got to do good things. I mean, just look at my life. I hear it so regularly. I ask people, tell me, how is your story? How is it that you understand the gospel? Well, I'm a good person. Awesome. But I could care less about that. Well, I've been faithful to my spouse my whole life. Wonderful. That has absolutely nothing to do with the question I just asked you. What is it that makes you a Christian? And we almost, by default, go back to what we do. By what we do of how much we tithe, of how good we are, of how we come and we've done this and we've started churches and been parts of churches And Paul would say, folks, be very, very, very concerned. Because what you're trying to do is establish your own righteousness. Then you are not submitting to God's righteousness. That's what he was saying of the Jewish people. That's what he was saying of they worked hard. But they never saw what it was all about. That they could never complete the law. That the law was to drive them to Christ. 
that they were supposed to come and do all these things, but then they were supposed to see the coming of a Messiah at the end of it, who would be the end of the law, is how he describes it here. He was the end of the law in perfectly completing and fulfilling the law on their behalf. You see, Christ comes and he says, I fulfilled the law on your behalf. Does that mean then that the law has no place for you? A person who's called an antinomian, an anti-law person, would say, oh, this is great, I got Jesus, therefore it doesn't matter how I live. How does Paul respond to that? May it never be. If you knew what Christ had done on your behalf, you would pursue righteousness and holiness and piety more than anybody else. And I will preach the grace of Jesus Christ to you, and I will preach the gospel to you, and I will say this, it is free and is by His blood and is always by His grace. And we, if we recognize that, it will change our lives. We will want to be more holy and righteous. Not because of the fear that lies behind us, but because of the beauty of what's been given us in the front. Folks, this church and you as individuals in this church, please quit getting drunk. Quit not having integrity within your business practices. Quit being gossips within the community. Quit all of that. It would be great to quit all that, but the motivation for quitting all of that is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you've been given of saying, if this is who he is and what he has done for me and he wants me to live this way, okay, okay, I can do that. I will live with integrity in this world. I will honor him at whatever cost it is to me. I will honor him in my life because of what he's done for me. That's the motivation of the gospel. The gospel doesn't say it's all free by grace. It's all, you know, easy believism and sloppy agape and easy grace. Not any of that. It is a profound and deep truth that then leads us to a desire. Christ even said, if you don't have a righteousness that supersedes this of the Pharisees, then you don't get it. Because it instills with us this passion. But the counterfeit is that we do it on our own. And some of you are exhausted from trying to do it on your own. You would say, Bill, no, no, no. I believe it's by grace that God started it. But here's your vision of it. God started you on a bicycle with training wheels and you're wobbling down the road through faith and life. And now the training wheels have come off and you're on your own and you've got to make it down to the end. God got this thing started, but you've got to keep it going into heaven. And you're worn out. And you're worn out. And folks, legalists, self-righteous people, people who have their salvation based on right, their righteousness are the most incredibly unapproachable people you'll ever be around. Because what you find, and this is a quick aside, is if I am wrestling with lying, shading the truth, little white lies, and I come to you and I say, I need you to help me. I find myself lying. You know what a legalist is going to say? Well, you know you shouldn't lie. It's one of the big ten. Really shouldn't do that. Well, I know that. I already know that. That's why I'm coming to you with my guilty conscience, with my conviction. I'm coming to you. And you know what you just gave me to fix it? You gave me law. You gave me more legalism. 
And you just condemned me even further. And I'll never come back to you again with my heart. But oh, if I come to a person and say to them, I'm wrestling with honesty and integrity in my life. A person who has been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and understands that beauty then would invite me in. Of course they would tell me that I shouldn't be lying. But they would ask, Bill, why are you lying? Why are you more concerned about somebody else's opinion of you than you are of your heavenly father's opinion? Let me tell you that you have all of the love and the worth and the value that you could ever want and the reputation in God than you ever could. And so you can be, it frees you to be honest in this world. And they love and invite me in to holiness, but through the brokenness of the gospel. Folks, if no one's approaching you with the brokenness in their life, you have to ask the question, why not? Why not? Are you giving them law or are you giving them this third biblical solution. And the third biblical solution is Christ. The biblical solution for salvation to be made right with God comes through Christ. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, who will descend into the abyss. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's Christ. Point your heart back to Christ, who is the fulfillment of the perfection of the law on your behalf. Point yourself back to Christ, who is able to be found. You don't have to go up into heaven. You don't have to go down into Hades. He's not somewhere you have to go searching for him, folks. He's available for you today. Do you believe that and recognize that? Here's what I think about what's happening today in your lives. God, in all of his mystery, is orchestrating things so that you are here today. And could it possibly be that for some of you who are here today, and maybe just one of you who's here today, that you're here today to hear this. Christ is available for you. You don't have to look another day. You don't have to be a better person. And then he'll accept you. You don't have to get dressed up. You don't have to do anything. You have to see him and believe. And that's it. He's right here for you. And that's awesome news because if all of us had within our, our lives, our genetic code, a code that said we we're going to be predisposed to cancer and someone found that we were in the deeps of the Amazon jungle that there was a, a drug, an herbal drug that could take care of every form of cancer, you just had to take one pill and we had a table out there with those pills free for you, how would you approach the table? Most of you would approach it with skepticism. Well, you know, I'm not altogether sure about this, and the FDA probably hadn't done a kind of all thing on it. And, I mean, it may be good for that guy, but I'm not sure it's good for me. Or I've, I've got worse cancer than that person. They don't have little cancer, and I've got a... Oh, but if you know that you're terminal, and a hope has been presented to you of life, you run to it. Folks, Christ is being presented to you as that. Your hope. And he is a stumbling block for so many. Do not allow him to be a stumbling block for you any longer. But by faith, through the grace of Jesus Christ, believe. Believe in Him. He says, believe. Confess with your lips. 
Confess with your mouth. What does that mean? It means this. I am saying that I believe this to be true. Well, guess who else says that? Satan says that, right? The demons say that Jesus is who he says that he is. So it has to mean something more than that. It has to mean this. I confess that today I'm repenting of all of the old that was me. I am laying aside of everything else that's there. And if you were to come through your repentance little thing that we did earlier in your time of confession, I imagine most of them were like this. I confess of yelling, of speeding, of being angry, uh, of stealing something, of lying, of gossiping. You went through your laundry list of bad sins. But in our confession, we have to not only repent of those things, we also, as Paul would say, repent of your damnable good works. Repent of the righteousness that you've been basing your salvation on and go, Lord, forgive me for thinking that I could somehow earn heaven by being a good person. And in that confession, and by the speaking it of your mouth, of saying, this is what I believe, what you are doing that's different from Satan and the demonic, as you were saying, I am orienting my life around this truth. This truth, the most profound truth, has now become the centerpiece of who I am. And I am changing everything. It is now going to inform everything in my life. That's my confession. That's what I believe to be true. That this now is central to me. And every decision that I make in business, every decision that I make in school, every decision that I make uh, in relationship, everything that I do is now informed and colored and motivated and driven by this. And I am willing to pursue this thing even at great expense to myself, to the slander of my friends around me, to whatever it is, I'm willing to do this because I believe and I confess this to be true. There's nothing easy about that in one sense. But it's incredibly easy on the other. Because he's saying that salvation is for all. Jew and Greek. It's available to you today. For some of you, you've walked for so long of saying, I want Jesus plus. I want Jesus plus a little bit of the other stuff in this world. Or for some of you, you've worked incredibly hard to keep your place with Christ. And what he's inviting you to today is to lay it down. And he's inviting you today to confess him and to believe in him and to trust him for your salvation. So as the team's coming up, as we're going to sing this last song together, I want you to consider that. That maybe God has you here today to remind you or even to explain to you for the first time of what does it mean to follow him, laying aside all of those other things and finding Christ alone for your salvation. Let's pray. God, we come to this passage and we look at this people of Israel and their zeal and their passion. And in the middle of it all, in all of their religious fervor, in all of their attendance to religious practices, they missed Christ. Father, I pray that we wouldn't miss Christ in the attendance of church, in the reading of Scripture, in the having of quiet times, of the tithe and the offering, uh, of being uh, obedient to your word, that we wouldn't miss Christ. And at the very heart of our faith would not be ourselves, but it would be Christ. And for some this morning, I pray that those relieving words would penetrate into their hearts and that Christ would bear their burden for them. For his burden is light and his yoke is easy. 
And I pray that they would come today and that they would give their lives to him and they would confess it with their lips and they would live it in the confidence of their lives and they would believe it more than they, they believe that the chair that they're sitting in will hold them up. They believe that Christ will hold them into eternity. Father, I praise you today for your goodness to us, for not making this salvation so complex that we'd have to go searching for it, but that we would find it easily in the gospel and receive it through you. So work your work in us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.